Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm Alan Stevens, uh, here with Kai, and uh, this is actually episode 20 from the looks of it, 20 episodes. And and because we're recording now, this makes us uh, consistent again. This is, uh, we're, we're going for two in a row. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have this out on Saturday for you guys to listen to, um, and then we'll stay more consistent after that. All through the uh, wonderful holiday season, we'll see how that comes up. Uh, yeah, I think seven. I think most of the keepers are are understanding because uh, the ones that are you know the true followers, they kind of understand how busy we can be. You know, yeah, this is also uh, our daily life, but part of our normal daily life. And so it's like you know we're just trying to really fit all this stuff in and try to make sure that we do get um, some information that. A lot of the beginners are looking for, you know, a lot of the other keepers are looking for. Um, if you want to go ahead and introduce NPR, sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. No, uh, if you guys know NPR, we are under the umbrella. That's the Morelia Python Radio Network. Uh, those guys, Eric and Owen, have been around a long time and doing this for a while. They now have, I want to guess, somewhere up around 10 different podcasts all under the NPR Network. So whatever you fancy in the reptile world, you'll probably find under there. So you can visit them at MoreliaPythonRadio.com or uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.net. And um, check out their website. They have a store with some some stuff on there. They have a Patreon if you want to help support uh, the podcast, all the different podcasts, and and the information that's being brought out towards everybody. Um, There's some great hosts on there, guys that – exceed my knowledge uh in just about everything by far uh i get a kick out of listening to them and with podcasts now you can kind of listen at your leisure so uh something you're interested in something that catches your fancy research it look into it there's probably an episode on one of these podcasts that cover it so that being said um yeah let's kick it off kai all right uh this one's for for your beginner breeders um but uh, really, just getting into it again, these this is for Ackies, um, specifically f- for the guys that are really getting into gear. It's uh, you know, you'll you may have some similar or run into some similar issues. We've kind of covered Ackies a couple of different times, but in mm-hmm. um, more most of those conversations have been just about Ackies and the current breeders and their process and stuff like that. Um, you know, but, uh, with this part, it'd be just like your typical, typical beginner. That's really getting into it. The reason why Aki's are a hit is because for years and years and years, probably even a couple decades, we've been promoting Aki's as the number one, um, uh, beginner lizard or beginner monitor, or I guess the entry into bigger lizards. It is, uh, it is, um, in very much high demand. And, um, you know, even though we just talk about breeding here, it's, it's about, you know, everybody really getting their gears into producing brands on their own, you know, um, and, and as far as supplying the market or things like that, um, there's a lot of people that are basically in some type of pinch or some type of crunch to really get get their animals going. Um, in, in a sense, uh, some people are failing or more so of running into issues where people are having females die um, just uh, legs, eggs being dropped, basically not enough suitable conditions for an actual breeding Aki. Um, and so we'll try to cover some of those t- 
topics today as far as we as far as we go here. Um, we have uh, Alex on today. Um, you may know Alex as Rock and Roll Aki on Instagram, right? Right. Yeah. That would nice. be uh, that would be me. I've been looking at your stuff for a while now, and um, are you? What are you currently keeping? So I've got a um, I've got two Aki's. I've had the mm-hmm. female for almost exactly a year now. It's just a couple a year and a couple of days. Um, and then I've got a, uh, another, another male who's about six months younger, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a male. I'm a 90% sure. Um, he's, he's just approaching the same size as her. And I just introduced them, um, in, into the same enclosure they've met before, but they've been in here together for about a week. And then I've got an Argus, which I got about the same time I got the second Aki. So it's a female Argus and it's a completely different ball game. Than Aggies, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, that that's been yeah. a lot of fun. Um, when that's I when a, I got back into the the hobby, if you want to call it that, I, I was struggling. Like, do I want an Argus or do I want an Aki? I had like prior experience with uh, with monitor lizards um, years and years ago, so I kind of erred on the side of the Aggies at first because it just there just been like almost twenty years since well twenty years since I kept, and then I used to help out a friend who had a Nile monitor, but the Nile monitor was a piece of cake compared to this Argus, so. <laughs> really like bizarre, but, um, uh, yeah. So, um, that's basically what I have. And so I, you know, I'm not really looking to branch out into anything imminently, but if I do, it'll probably be, I'll probably do a, either another, get another pair of Ackies cause I like them or uh, yeah. one of the other dwarf species, which is, which is cool. So. Yeah. I'm kind of actually looking at your stuff right now. Um, how old is it? How old is that Argus female? She is, uh, she was born in December. Okay. So she's like 28, maybe almost 28 inches. She was the runt of the clutch, as far as I can tell from the pictures that uh, Joe had sent me. And she's she's always been kind of on the small side, but she, she eats like, she'll eat everything you throw at her. Um, Does she have small front arms? Yeah. They're not, they're not like the big gangster arms. They're, they're, she likes to dig like crazy, but she doesn't have the, you know, it, there's there's another person I've been talking to who's got an Argus who's the same size as mine, but it's like six months younger. So it, that one must be a male. But um, yeah, I, they, they typically I have a singing? huge arm. They typically just have huge arms as males. Males, even when they're really young, they're, there's they're just those arms are just like like this lizard does does lift weights and stuff like that, and basically just uh pumps yeah. iron all day you know what i mean yeah it's just uh yeah a really swole lizard um, <laughs> yeah they they are definitely like the fastest and i've seen a lot of lizards in the wild but that is the fastest lizard i have ever seen i mean she, a couple times she's gotten loose she runs down that hallway like i mean like a like I, i've never even imagined a lizard moving that quick but yeah there's yeah. something else so picture you're in the wild getting hit like <laughs> by one of those you're just uh, you're like food, and you literally didn't even know what happened. You're just dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. they're they're so fast. They're all those that whole Goldie Eye complex, they're hard. They're they're hitters as far as oh yeah, um, their response to food and and how they are and all that stuff like that. Yeah, it's in the problem yeah. solving. I mean, I've I've been told that Argus are not necessarily the brightest monitors, but I have not seen that with this one. It's she she learns extremely quickly. She just yeah. does not want to uh, be nice. 
I mean, she'll, she knows I won't hurt her, but there, there is a line that, you know, I don't cross. She, she won't bite or anything, but very, very assertive. Yeah. They're, they're all, they're all huff and puff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. All, all yeah. talk. Yeah. They're not really do, uh, on fighters. Lots of bluff charges. She's never yeah. bitten me, but she'll, she'll bluff charge and to the point like. You actually have to, you have to stand up to those. Oh, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Put your arm there. Basically don't, uh, don't back up because they'll, they'll, they'll just continue that more and more. And then there'll be a threshold and they'll cross that threshold every time. So you, you want to like basically push it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let it know who's boss kind of right. Um, I, 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 I raised those, that species for a little while, like in the er maybe like 2009, 10 and 11. I had some of those. Yeah. I, I truly miss the species, but man, they're, they're a heavy hitter as far yeah. as what they, what they are. Yeah. I like I like the more quiet guys. <laughs> <laughs> On that though, yeah. Um, yeah. you mentioned you, you have some Mackies, um, and you you're maybe getting some more. Are you gonna get something along the same line or are you, you know, I think I might I wanna get two more two more reds, I think. Or mm-hmm. um, you know, just but you know, I don't know how you guys I mean, this is a question I, I could never get a great answer on. I love your take. Well, we can get right into it, man. Genetics. Like I see a lot of people, they they'll buy three and they'll breed them together. Like, how much does uh, I mean the inbreeding? Is is there a benefit to like maybe not doing that and like trying to introduce, you know, yeah, different it's, it's the harder, it's the harder thing to do. But it, you know, it's it's not exactly hundred percent frowned upon because what we have is what we have. Yeah. But um, you know, when you start mixing stuff, just carelessly making dirty dirty lineage then that's one of them but uh like breeding you know brother and sister or son back to the mom or something like that eventually that'll that'll dull down the 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 that 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 line right there or even just from that breed that that male and female you know you'll the babe the babies to those would be weaker um or um, you probably wouldn't even be able to see it just yet but down the line I feel like the inbreeding or breeding brother to sister or the, just the animals that are so related, um, it, it'll, it'll, it'll weaken it up a bit. For, for myself, I don't have Ackies, but um, I have Kimberly Rocks, which are also a very small, I guess, gene pool, right? Mm-hmm. And we only really can get so many. And I basically went through the two major suppliers to the United States um, and basically bought from those two guys, you know. Um, I had to really source those out. Not only that, Alan himself, my my buddy over there, um, I have one directly from Brandon Shiflet, and then I have stuff that are directly from Canadian Cold Blood, which are, you know, two two different people that are bringing in um, Kimberleys at the time. And so, um, for me, that's what I had to do to to go that route. It, it was a lot more costly. You know, um, it took a lot of time, obviously, to find the specific animals. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are really ending up with a pair or something like that from the babies that they get from whoever and then just breeding those um, seemingly so far without too much of an issue. You know, there's stuff that people don't talk about, but, you know, we can get into that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a unfortunately, there's been a lot of mixing around in the Aki world. Um, yeah. It's just where it is. We, for good we have, and bad. For good yeah, and bad. For right. looks, but you kind of lose like the 
I'm not too familiar, but Alan, you know some of the more the the mountains and the little ranges they come from. Mm-hmm. What are those again? So so we uh, can kind of be more specific. Oh wow! Um, There's that faded, the one with the faded dots. Um, you talking about the Isas? The yeah, the mountain Isas, right? Yeah, if I'm pronouncing it right. <laughs> um, which is funny, actually. There's the there's the um, animals I've seen, and this is all from pictures because I haven't been there myself. Uh, like the Alice Springs animals, which have um, really faded, almost no dots, into like a faded background. Um, <clears throat> and then the the Mount Isa, you know, we had an example kind of in books from 20, 30 years ago that had a certain look to them. They were uh, considered to be really large animals. Um, and then just recently I, I watched a video where there was a uh, – um, two people out there basically catching Ackies in the winter and uh, lifting up tins and they didn't look necessarily like what those old photos um, portrayed them to be. So, you know, was that, were those old photos from one point in that range and were they just really nice examples of those animals? And does their actual, uh, does the actual community of those animals cover a wide range of looks. And I think that from what I'm hearing, that's maybe more in line with what's actually going on there where you can go to a certain location and you can find a wide range of different looks just within that same community of animals. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there's like actual, like a tire kicker too. Okay. So with everything that we got going on in, in America, you know, it's like we have what we have and we're really trying to now, um just to distinguish those looks right and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of makes it's like top enders or um red ackies to yellow ackies i guess somewhere along the line is now they are all considered the same thing which uh, even even though they may be similar we know that they're there there's totally different looks and specifics right right like there's the red ackies with the the the, the yellow flanks and the, the yellow arms Right. And then there's the red Ackies that have like a more dusky orange look, you right. know. Um, and so, you know, there's now what people are trying to do is just make a cleaner looking animal or line breed the specific look, you know. But they all started off as something else. Okay. They all started off as more specific localities or, yeah. or animals that came in looking alike. Um, and you could also say just from the animals I've, I've hatched out, um, just within one clutch, there can be quite a bit of variation um, in the colors of those animals. It's, I'm almost seeing more um, similarities in body structure than I am in pattern and color. So I have some that are more long and skinny. Um, and it's as far as that group, it's really hard for me to tell which ones are males and which ones are females. They all look very similar, um, but they have a more slender look to their entire body where couple other animals they're kind of like your traditional chunksters as far as adults go uh and for those it's easier for me to tell okay this one's male this one's female um so there's a lot not only color and pattern but um body shape uh you know all these things kind of come into play as far as what do you have um there's talk of what were considered traditionally yellows have 
less or um, smaller spines on their tails than the traditional reds. Um, I've heard all of these things, but the truth at the end of the day is we have what we have here. Mm -hmm. And unless you can say, okay, here's your little family line, here's your tree, then hard. You know, yeah. yeah. I, I don't yeah. know anybody really that could say, okay, this animal came from this. Yeah, you yeah, have to take like a DNA of... sample and then go back to Australia and get DNA samples of different locations to see how they, how they link back. It's been like what, 30 years since we've been doing yeah. this. So someone, someone, someone from the hobby would have to go into the academic world and then do all that. It's kind of, that's a, it's harder in itself. It sounds really easy, but they'd have to, yeah, be able right. to do a bit. I mean, maybe they can see data from here and then see data from uh, a scientist over there or some type of person be able to work, work collectively to get that DNA for you. But um, I, I I'm not sure how how much how far that's really going to get you at this point because it'll be pretty muddled out mm -hmm. from how people are breeding them. Um, I think people are just trying to attach a prettier Aki to the current Aki that they have, you yeah. know, um, something like that, where not, not, not to say that people are making ugly stuff because actually there's some really pretty stuff out there, but it's just, you know, now we're just kind of mixing things. Um, and this is where, gonna... where the issue is with, with, uh, locality and clean bloodline, like, like right. how we always talk about. Yeah. I think uh, more than we like to breed. I like to breed for certain looks. I'm trying that in a few different animals, breeding for a certain look. But if I start seeing some uh, problems with the offspring, you know, I think we're going to hit a with a limited gene pool of some of our animals. We're going to have to start really pressing for healthy babies. If yeah. if we come up on you know where half a clutch is kinked up and dying of whatever, you're really going to have to. Um, as a hobby, we're going to have to really try to weed out those things, keep some strong bloodlines going of just healthy animals so we can preserve uh, what we have here. So yeah. It's not there yet, but could be. Yeah. Kind of like what's going on. Like you see it sometimes with some of the bearded dragons that are out there. They're just, you can just tell. Right. Yeah. You can't even mix cross some of those, those, those morphs together. That's the, that's the end cap, like the translucence to translucent. You can't, be making those it's uh right. you gotta breed breed het translucence to het translucent to make those and that's it you, you, it's 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 tapped out as far as how healthy or unhealthy the the offsprings are going to be furthering that that project you know so and we're seeing that kind of across the board um of course with ball pythons you'll see it in some of the colibrids maybe not as much um but uh retics other morphs um carpet pythons you're basically breeding up to a dead animal or an animal with neurological problems that's not going to make it um so i hope we never get there with monitors i think it's monitors are still a pretty good holdout as far as uh um how, how hard they are <laughs> yeah they're yeah. they're tough they're super tough you know yeah. um I'm not even sure how that would work with, but I guess we got the, like the, uh, leukistic, uh, Kingorum, you know, so, but that's, they're kind of their own thing. Uh, I, I don't work with them, so I don't know too much about them. I don't know if they're, they have any issues inherently. Uh, but, uh, I think that's really the only, all, yeah, just about all the dwarf monitors because we can't get a whole lot in 
what what we're looking at as far as new bloodline is when i guess we get stuff from what europe and the uk right when we get stuff from those right. guys and uh, that's not happening too often but it does yeah. happen every few every few years there's some drove or you know guys that I mean, we we bless you guys that are taking the effort to go through customs and exporting and importing them into here you know that's kind of i don't want i don't want to call it a loophole but animals may get from australia or somewhere in asia go all the way to europe gets solidified and legitimized there somehow and then right. come here so right. that's that's the um if you are 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 reading between the lines that's what's happening um, now I, I i think there's something on that too it's like uh maybe f5 or i don't know how many generations they have to be separate to be able to yeah. legally uh export them and uh, for us to import them in so even there you're thinking you know if they have a limited gene pool of new animals uh what's <laughs> going on because big yeah. game. <laughs> you look at some of the pictures of the, the european some of the european ackies don't look anything like some of the ones no. like, like they've got reds that have like yeah. so much yellow, almost like lemonade color or something. Right. That's that's well, that's what people like. I actually mm -hmm. like that. Um, it's the yellow flanks that are that are on them. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, I guess getting into the, you know, why why some are are are, are difficult. Um, I guess you're you're having trouble reading, reading your your first initial stages, right? Um, you want to go ahead and. Get, get get right into your little questionnaire there and we can start yeah off. so kind of what spurned this whole thing is uh my my female she one one day uh i thought she was gonna go to the bathroom and she just pumped out an egg like right in front of me <laughs> and i was like holy crap and because it didn't even look like she was it was grabbing and then yeah. she kind of blew up over the next few days and i was talking to alan and uh shane about it because it was i was like kind of shocked and it all kind of made sense because, you know, her appetite had just gone off. Like one day she ate like a whole quail. She can take down a whole quail, no problem. And then a giant fuzzy, like back to back, which is she usually has a pretty moderate appetite. But she was just, you know, feed me. And uh, she, she kept blowing up and blowing up. And then maybe four or five days later, she started digging. And then every morning I'd see her, she'd just be covered with with dirt and, you know, not really mud, but. She was so I found a total of like eight eggs. I dug the whole thing up, and some of them looked really good. Some of them looked kind of strange. Um, but uh, I was yeah, like, you, oh, you, yeah. you can go ahead and just if you want to, you can describe those looks a little bit. Yeah. So the first one she laid was kind of the yellowish. Um, the, you know the you know you can tell right away that it's not it's not viable, but it was just kind of yellow. Like, it almost like it was like a like a translucent kind of a yolk color. Yeah. And then uh, later on, I found some that were, they look, they look really good. Like they look like they could be, you know, like if you found them, you'd be like, oh, you know, I think you'd be pretty excited. Like these look good. But then I found another one. It, it had like, um, the egg looked almost like a tadpole. Like it had like a tail. Yeah. And, uh, that's a, and that particular one was like really moist. Like it, all the, all the dirt kind of stuck to it. And the only reason I found it is like, that's a really weird looking shape. And I just started messing with it. I'm like, that's an egg. And uh, so mm -hmm. she was, she built two different egg chambers and that was where I found, you know, she was, she built one in the front and then one in the back. And um, so I, I, I think I found all of them. There were about eight. I think there were eight. And I kept some of them. They, they've dried out, of course. Um, 
So now, you know, like once, once she got through that and she started eating again, like almost immediately. Um, and that was the other weird thing is, is when she pumped out that first egg, she was practically, she was barely done. And then she was still eating, eating out of my hand. Um, but then, and then after like a day later, she just kind of stopped eating, you know, typical egg laying behavior. And then once she was done, I mean, you could tell she was done because she was like, I mean, so, so I'd never seen, I mean, she's a typically a pretty lean animal, but she looked even more lean, but she just started eating yeah. and eating. And now I, I think she's grabbing again because her, or she's on the way because she's eating and she's resting yeah. where like her lower body is kind of below her and her, and her, 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 her rear yeah. body's kind of like above. So like she's trying to get more comfortable. So I think she's yeah. doing through, um, what's the, Vitalogenesis, whatever. So yeah. maybe that's starting again. And, and the male's been in there since for about a week, maybe a little bit more. And they they actually, you know, there's a little squabbling here and there, but they haven't really been in conflict at all. It's really kind of encouraging. So yeah. yeah. So I usually, you know, I there's some people. It sounds like get hung up on the squabbling. As soon as they see a little squabbling, or one's got the other by a limb. They'll separate them. Um, a lot of times, I just let it play yeah, out. Let it yeah. ride out, unless unless you start seeing blood, and it's like, all right, that has to heal. If you right. text her more, then okay, we don't want. There's a fine line here, you know. Mm -hmm. We don't want you to just just let them kill each other. No, but they're gonna have to scuffle. It's basically animals introduced into different territories and then they have to figure out the pecking order who's in charge stuff like that and then they fight over basking areas mm -hmm, or right who got who got water or who got food you know things like that so they'll have to squabble that out and you want to kind of maybe give them two options of everything or or yeah. make it so you know one one isn't eating right in front of the other one or things like that or you know fill up the mail a little bit um, but then, you know, make sure your female can get a lot of bite size in quick, you know, right. something like that. Yeah, they don't. Um, they, I haven't even had an issue with that. They 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 kind of take good. their turn and there's no one time the male, he, he grabbed a quail before she could. And he couldn't quite manage it. So he gave up on it. So she picked it up and ate it. And um, yeah. but there's no you know, I've got I don't know if you can see because it's so bright in there. But there's I got two major basking areas. So there's. There's tons of hiding area and so yeah. you're all right. So I guess um we can critique your setup right now. Yeah. All right. So your setup go for it. For me, is that a six inch lip? Can you or see it? Eight inch know, lip. Kind of bright. Oh, we might have dropped him a little bit. Looks like it froze. Yeah. There we go. Oh, he popped in, popped out. <laughs> and as you know as far as uh our listeners go with um you know leaving them together letting them scuffle out we want you guys to kind of be able to go through welcome back we want you to kind of be able to go through and um basically go through every emotion every little um part of the flow where you know you'll run into the scuffling you'll run into um you know possibly egg eating or things like that that are that make you kind of cringe right um mm -hmm. we kind of want you to be able to flow through the process even if you're kind of unsure about something you kind of just have to wait things out and then be able to determine something and it's it can be a 10 15 day wait or it can be a whole 30 days or yeah. even like a month and a half to just make sure the timing is 
as cleared yeah. for your for your female. Um, uh, hey, it's about uh, ten. So before you lost, yeah. So you lost I don't know if you can see there. it, but I've got. Um, I saw your. This is actually kind of elevated so off the ground. I built like a little platform. Right, so I've got. All right. So like 10 to your lip there at the bottom, the right? Your lip is only yeah, like what six the, inches. The, the substrate kind of. I don't know if you can see it, but it kind of slopes, okay, so, so it's deeper in the back. So. I did. I did while she was laying, but she completely ignored it. Okay. That was one of my questions. Because I, I don't know if I set it up right. Right. Okay, so and do you have a nest bin in there or is it just like that? You did? Okay. All right. So you're with your with your whole enclosure, what you want to do is basically when I when I mentioned starting from the ground up. You basically want your enclosure to work and incorporate around your nest bin. Okay, your yeah. nest bin is basically mm -hmm. going to be home or where it is the most important thing, your most important aspect, okay? A lot of times a female, if she's comfortable with the whole nest bin, the process for her just flows and flows and flows. There is no interruption. But when you have now no nest bin and it is time for her to go start digging, she is then unsure and then, then insecure about where she'll lay. And and for some females, this can be very complicated. Well, they'll just go around and around and around digging wherever. And this yeah. is where you might have got ran into that conflict yourself where your female, instead of laying in one area, she decided to scatter eggs and dump them all over the place. And so this definitely tells you that she's unsure about where to nest. So with your current enclosure, I would shove in a small to medium tote it will make your cage look a little bit odd shaped inside, but at least you have the most important aspect down, which is a nest bin. And it's your enclosure can support a little bin that's, I would say what, it's a 11 by 11 by 11 or 11 by 12 by, by, by 20 inches. That's that, that small standard bin that a typical Aki can fit in. Um, so set that on the warm side. Or you can have a heat pad on the side of the bin. That is going to be your. I mean, it's everything. Uh, it it, appli it applies the ample amount of humidity in the enclosure. It gives them a humid hiding spot, um, while the rest of your enclosure looks kind of dry, which is good. That's basically what you want, you know. Um, so for preparing your nest, your next aspect of breeding them, and everything like that, having your setup for with the nest bin is going to be key okay um so if anything remove your mail or remove them and set them back up and then that would help you out as far as mm -hmm. you being able to read stuff um your female being able to tell you just when's what okay so well, like i mentioned before you'd have to wait 15 to 30 days essentially to figure out if she's gravid or not to go through the process sometimes i even wait a whole 45 days to make sure that I've gone through the 30 days because I actually don't know when they started sometimes. So kind of give myself some time. Um, you yourself, I think one of your first questions was, uh, when should you increase the fat content and for your breeding female and stuff like that, right? So mm -hmm. right now, if your nest bin is unsecure or I guess not up to par or anything like that, don't do anything. Don't do any type of breeding or triggering just get that nest bin in there and then we can worry about everything else um once that bin is in there 
So your soil temperature is very, very key. 84 degrees, 86 degrees, or anything from 80 to 87 is a good range, okay? Yeah. Um, you don't want to do anything much more than that. Anything lower than that is basically going to be too cold. So your mid-80s range is where you want your moist, warm, sandy soil to be. Now, most people, because they don't know how to do it in an entire enclosure, and that's a lot of volume to heat up and add water to, people are only doing it in an S-bin. Mm -hmm. I myself have them. Alan has them. Um, it is common practice to use a bin just because it's all centralized in a little bin. You get to do everything. And it's a box, so it's kind of like a, uh, it gives them a sense that it's a sturdy unit, right? So get that in there, and then, you know, you want to worry about breeding then, you know. But uh, to answer your question, it's essentially when your female has a nest bin and she can start supporting things, everything can be very fast, right? And how fast that is is within 15 days. That female and male can lock up, and it can be your right timing. And let's say you don't have any nesting, right? You can basically run into that same issue again of females just dumping. Now, sometimes that's the good part. They're just mm -hmm. dumping the eggs, and they've completely flushed themselves. But there's times where animals are chronically dehydrated, and they can't push it out. They prolapse along the way, get egg-bound, something like that, and basically your animal is in harm's way. Um, you, you essentially don't want that. You want a smooth ride, just like a pregnancy or any anything that's gravid, anything female that's going through the process. You want a smooth ride, right? You don't want any type of complication, no major stress. And that running and back and forth trying to find somewhere to lay is the stress. So mm -hmm. if you can get that nipped in the bud, um, then, you know, everything else should fall in line for you. And then you can just start feeding eggs and fatty stuff, mealworms, eggs, you know, the roaches, uh, things like that. Just, just that that's your your fat trigger. Um, some yeah. people wait the time frame and chill for. A month and a half, two months. Uh, some of us wait for several months to really limit the food. With Ackies, it's kind of like a heat them and feed them game. You still want to maintain the weight somewhat, but you're just you're just pumping them. Uh, they're, so they're, they're kind of the thermos yeah, got probes kind of down there. That, so they're that simple. They're peaking out at like 82, yeah, 83, yeah, about an inch down, uh, inch or two down. What is so, in, in that dirt that you have there right now? What are, what kind of temps are you hitting? Yeah, you you want ten inches to a foot down. Now I've seen them lay at seven eight inches without too much of an issue, right? right. But that was supportive sandy soil with some with some structure. So they basically dug it down, mm -hmm. nestled there. And, and put put stuff right back over it, even if it was shallow. But it just basically right. made them feel secure about that. So if you can prop stuff at a 45-degree angle, bury moist, sandy soil in there, you know, just don't do it once and then think it's going to okay. stay there for a month. You'll have to continually check that. Shove your finger down, deep down, maybe 10 inches. And if you don't have 10 inches of moist, warm soil deep down, your nesting options are inadequate. Right. That's where I was going with that. So two to three inches down and you're already in that lower 80 range. Um, if you can somehow, whether it's whole case, we just say nest box, it's a lot easier and a lot of um, aspects to fill up a nest box. Mm -hmm. And because you're 
you have a nice size uh, enclosure, you can actually move that nest box closer to a heating lamp on one side or the other. Um, and you'll, you might hit like 90 at the very top corner of the nest box. That's, that's closest. But as you dig down in that soil, you'll get into that mid 80 range, uh, at least on one side, maybe down in the, the mid eighties as you like 82, 83 on the very far corner side. And, and my experience has been pretty much perfect for how and where they want to nest in that kind of uh, soil. So one, they want to get down deep. Um, as deep as you give them sometimes is usually, so if I have a foot of dirt in one of these nest boxes, um, they'll go down. It seems like every time they go down to the bottom of it, I never have anybody nest at, at mid level or whatnot. They try to go down to the bottom. So my goal is to make sure that bottom is about that 85 degree range. Um, maybe a, a degree or two cooler on the opposite size, but at least I'm covering that range and it's been pretty successful, um, for me. Um, I have had a female nest in two different areas that it was my fault. I didn't know she was gravid. It was a, uh, it was actually Tristis that when I was still learning them, um, she nested in two different areas. Uh, since I figured out what to look for in her, um, all her nesting's been in one area. Now I would say correct nesting. And um, so whether you use the whole cage for that purpose, but that's that's what you want to aim for and provide to her. Um, and I think you'll you'll see a lot of improvement, just her behavior as far as leading up to nesting. Uh, as she searches for a place, as she's tongue flicking hmm. and sticking. So where do you put the areas. opening? Do you like the opening um, on the top? You or can almost you openings. You'll or? get to the point where you could like temp gun uh the dirt when you find the the eggs and it'll be right in that it, mid 80 range so. i yep, usually use the, the opening on the top i have had ones open from the side um that are up towards the top but the way i do it is um i'll just usually i use the black totes with the yellow lids i'll cut out one or two yeah I'll cut out one or two of the squares. Um, usually I will choose to put the the opening on the cooler side because I feel like um, it's not losing as much moisture as fast going in that way. It's a little cooler. I don't know if that's really the truth. It's just mm -hmm. what I think in my head. Um, it seems like if I flip it around and the opening is more towards the basking side, that top part will dry out a little faster. So that's what I'm basing that off. So I usually flip it toward, so it's, um, facing a cooler side as far as the opening, and uh, that's the way I run them. Mine's a little bit uh, more complicated than that. So everything's at like a, so everything is the same bin, but I have a tube that is essentially not. It's not connected to the hole, right? But when you go into the hole, you can either go into the tube, or you can go right and then go in right into the rest of the bin. If she wanted to, she can go into the tube, go all the way down, turn left or right, and go anywhere she wants to at at one foot deep. All right? She has to go through the tube. Now, sometimes they just lay in the tube for me. It's just what the it is. Right is <laughs> yeah, just it's at that right temp. So what I mean is when you're now at that 45-degree angle, whatever you have slanted in the bin, okay, it's going to – itself trap humidity and heat and only release it so much there and so this pocket here really conserves for whatever i'm using it for um it's just those corrugated 
tubes that come green or brown or white or black, right? The, the drainage tubes. And that's exactly what I use for a perfect size dwarf monitor nesting area. It's like, it's, it holds the perfect shape. It's very thin, lightweight. You shove it in there. Um, and it, it essentially props up against the bin. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I, I don't have the lids and the hole just facing anywhere. So, like, let's say if I were to have it against the bin and then the hole yeah. is at one side and then it, it, it's also only two inches from the wall, the lizard gets no playroom to dig a lot right there because then it's cramped between the entrance of the hole and then its back is against the wall. You get what I'm saying? So it, when it backs out, it basically hits the back of the wall. Um, for me, I have it a little bit different where the the entrance of the hole is furthest away from the wall. So there's space for the animal to work in and around the nest bin because she's going to be planting herself on top of there, basically digging at every direction, trying to figure out what's what. And so um, I try to give mm-hmm. them that, that room there as well. Um, but yeah, man, getting a nest bin in there, heating that heating that bad boy up, should basically answer a lot of things for you and it'll 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 allow you to to look at things a lot better uh, yeah yeah if, you're, if your ambient um air temperature in there is 85 degrees uh just imagine that the nest bin sitting just on top of the substrate you already have in yeah there, i'm sitting even, at um is so going to reach that same right now ambient it's air like normally it's once it it right around 90 on the hot side. Guess, ambient. The, uh, temperature equalizes and it heats so, up. So, and sometimes and, and, and if you go up higher, it gets ambient even warmer. air temperature for the most uh, part. Uh, oh, yeah. I got tons of temp guns. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. So, you want it uh, positioned in your cage, right? When you're, you have a temp gun or are you just using pro? Okay. So, your your temp gun right as you're scanning the bottom area of your cage and you're going from left to right wherever your heat lamp is to the furthest end right the mid-range is typically where you're going to set your nest bin is because that's where your mid-range temperature is it's 80 degrees you know anything too hot is going to be 90s and 100s and anything cooler is going to be in the 70s and that's where we don't want it so um you're gonna temp gun where your enclosure is and get as much as you can and cover the distance between 90 degrees and 78 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then basically have your bin there. Um, but then it's still, okay. you know, for Aki's, it, it can be quite simple. But for me, I couldn't just do that. My nest bins have to be that temperature all the time, no matter what. Um, so I don't, I don't play with the daytime, nighttime temperature drops. The nest bin is always that temperature. Um, that's just how it works for me. I don't let it. Because uh, you never know. Let's say you're just assuming, right, it's a really hot day, and she's supposed to be nesting, but your nest bin's at, like, 95. It's basically just too hot for her to nest mm-hmm. in. Um, so you you want to be able to 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 be able to have your your heat source for the nest How bin. How about a, um, like if I replace the middle halogen with, and uh, then that like way a, you can a work DP with projector so that, like, it could heat during pad, the night without a thermostat generating light. Or however you want to do it. Um, and then that heat source is radiating on its own. Um, yeah. Yeah, you just still have to make sure that that that, that you're honing in on 84, yeah. 86 degrees. 
and having it stay there that that time is the best thing to do so even if you were yeah. to use your dp projector and have it doing you know heating that area uh, it could also make it too hot so right. you want to know there's sure that two you are basically on the right hand side rather than just so one, you know if i could just i'll so just kind of orient you, so you that said middle, middle pile of rocks. um she lays uh, basically on both sides. fixture like right so uh, you have two basking spots one on each right, end yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's act, but it's actually warmer. Okay. Over here. Right. So this and is that's in the middle, the hottest, right? The hottest area. Yeah. So, so. yeah, that's. Uh, I'm thinking that's about, probably where she found the most suitable spot yeah. closest to the nearest temperature. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the hottest area. So you're gonna put it where your where your center divider is, mm -hmm. right? Move everything back because your bin is obviously not just going to be two to three inches. It's going to cover an area of about a foot and a half in distance. So you'll cover, let's say where your where your probe is, right? I mean where your actual thermometer is right there, right in the front of the in the front of the cage. Go two to three inches over to the left, and then go all the way to the back. That's where your bin starts, and then you go all the way over to your left again. And that's where it ends. So that 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 back part of your enclosure there, away from being underneath all the heat, that'll just make it too hot and dry it out too fast. I feel yeah, sorry absolutely. for all the people that can't see this. Yeah, <laughs> just yes, imagine. So, but just imagine a good, I this think, a four by, by two by two or something like that, right? So it's a it's a cages. Um, big, oh, it's a cages PVC. I think it might be a little. Good. I think it's a little larger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, it's, oh, yeah. A, it's a pretty decent enclosure for absolutely for, for an Aki for sure, and it, it it can fit in the nest bin now. Oh, you're back. Uh, so Alex, you back. So, we yeah, were asking um, Alex, what size um, enclosure are you running? Oh, okay, nice. very nice. Yeah, you got plenty of room to to work with. You know, just shove a bin in there, mm -hmm. shove a bin in there, fill it up with sand. Now, your consistency is soil. You're, you're, I, I kind of mentioned this a lot, but it's uh, just wet sand, sandy soil. More sand mm -hmm. than soil sometimes. Um, they'll, they'll also lay in moist soil, but really uh, when you're going to the beach and you're digging tunnels, right, and essentially digging down and to keep to keep those tunnels, you know, actually holding shape and all that stuff yeah. like that. You are trying to add so enough I use, moisture um, so that can. I've got a big holds. mixture of stuff in there. I bought some um, um, really designer, it's, it's like bioactive stuff, which was like way overpriced, and they'll never do that again. So I'm using um, try to basically I'm, make sure I'm that you guys if you're mentioned. looking I'm on in sand, that uh, eco earth as well, uh, you're not sphagnum moss, bin of dirt, um, and I just throw like leaves and stuff in there, and there's isopods that kind of break it all down, and I've even got a huge tote outside that's basically like it's almost right. like a compost tote <laughs> yeah. it's just like backup substrate so i'll just when i make this thing i'll just go out and grab it because it's it's basically sand eco earth and other types of biodegradable and uh it, and you get and it gets pretty you know it holds a burrow like really well like her burrows are pretty well shaped like there's lots of burrows in there a lot more than i thought there were um brewing yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just I, I go and I, I go to Home Depot and I buy yeah. a couple bags of that place in. It's like it sounds three like bucks a, good, a bag. And, honestly, sounds you know, like a good then, mix. Then, I would just uh, uh, get a bunch of bricks of Eco Earth and I just kind yeah. of mix it all together. I agree. Do the Some same those, thing with my art. I really and, uh, is it the Zoomed jump? And then get like a <laughs> get a whole big <laughs> bag of. I like the way it feels. all together and I'm not feeling it. You know. Yeah. And that I'm in Missouri, so I'm like Kansas City area basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing I use. I use Cypress Cyper, Mulch. What, what area are you from? Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a lot of access to, like, um, wow. Mulch? That sucks. Yeah. Rockeries or uh, landscape. Uh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I like to ask different people because, you know, one of the things I wish we had is uh, cypress mulch. We don't have that over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, for us, it's like 50 we bucks for this little bag. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't get that here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I guess getting into the next, uh, your next question, um, it was uh, how much should a male be fed? Well, um, and then as far as them being kept body tone wise, you're right. They should be kept lean, um, as best as you can. And sometimes it's a little hard to avoid because the male is always around, but he basically, I, I just slap mine away with the tongs while I'm feeding the girls. Um, yeah. that's, that's all I do. Yeah. And I just feed him a little bit less. Um, he gets a leaner pieces mm -hmm. or. You know, I tried just to not make him so overly stuffed. Basically, that'll end up uh, um, hindering your your his breeding shelf life. You know, you don't want him to be too. I, I, I like say, to keep him lean for sure. Yeah, um, you don't want to keep him too stocky at all. It's hard, man. It is hard because they get to a comfortable stage. You're feeding them all the time. It's not like you're gonna remove them every time. You know, um, so. He gets a part of what they eat, kind of. So it's, right. it's a tough one. You'll have to kind of balance it out. Uh, for me, I separate the males. Right now, most of my Kimberleys are all separated. Um, they're going into the next season. So I'm basically not having them together, no breeding, nothing. It's basically just lone animals. Um, I find that when it, it, they are alone, you get to work with them a lot better. You can just work on just the right amount of food. You don't have to just put in food for two lizards no. and he, call it a day. He, you know, um, actually so he, he seems maybe, to like when he sees the tongs, when I show the tongs, he's like, oh, it's my turn. Because he's, I, I don't know why, he, just, I, he just keys on the tongs. Too, um, when she sees tongs, she did, instead of eating, male so and she'll female just climb up the tongs. You have a you know, male that's uh, really so, food, but he, uh, happy. He can kind of tell when it's his turn. He comes running out of the cage for the food. Actually, he just popped out too. But yeah, they don't, I haven't seen any food conflicts at all. Um, yeah. So it's it's pretty right. Yeah, there's just so many. You know, when I I read probably all the same places you guys are, and some people are feeding. It's like they're feeding like every day, and some people are feeding not like yeah, once a week more or so twice just a week. Him, just I, I tend just to eating feed. a lot. A little bit. Just the, I don't. I don't feed them the every normal, day. Normality um, of everything. They don't kind of come out and just, are real enthusiastic about eating. I'll um, just 
<laughs> I'll just skip because if they're not if they're not reacting to the food, they're jumping on it. I just assume they don't really need it that badly. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. <coughs> right. I'll even kind of choose to give them, um, I've given them up to two weeks off, uh, with just controlling the food or giving them no food. Um, <coughs> Sometimes drop the temps playing with different things, especially if, if a male is getting a little too chunky, a little too heavy. Um, or I just want to prevent that. I'll, I'll put them on a diet for two weeks. And um, sometimes I separate them. It depends on the male because sometimes they'll, they'll be, you know, get a little food aggressive if you're doing that and keeping them up at regular temps. Um, but if you're not having issues, those are all things you'll have to play with with your animals if you start seeing that, if you, for whatever reason, need to um, check his mm-hmm. weight a little bit and he becomes a little more aggressive towards the food, um, you can mess with all these different things or different ideas, maybe just separate them, whatever works for you. But um, mm-hmm. I do, just to answer that question directly, yes, I keep the, the males leaner um, for the most part. The females throughout the year, I kind of let them eat just, just about whatever they want. Uh, it seems like most of their body weight gets um, kept in check by reproduction. Um, so that's that's been my approach. If I start getting a female that's just overly obese, I wouldn't hesitate to do the same thing with her. Basically uh, restrict food. Um, possibly send her through like uh, the winter with uh, no food. Uh, yeah, or that's, yeah. that's what I do here. Yeah, there's I'm definitely like, something very going on strict with her right on, now because she's on my animals. I've never seen her. She's a pretty moderate eater. Um, not only that, uh, I don't really she, want she, I've never seen animals that are too much fat. So when they are going through the process, bro, it's a lot easier to tell. When they're big and hefty and then they're going through mm-hmm. it, it's like, dang, you're just, are you just fatter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you were to um, mm-hmm. hone in on the amount of calcium ratio to the bugs you're using and the meat, the meat you're using, right? Um, you should be, you should be okay with getting her to be triggered. Um, go ahead and, you know, once you get your nest bin in there, go ahead and start pounding her and you'll start to mm-hmm. see more behaviors as the bin is in there. Um, yeah. You know, then, uh, then you'll also be more secure on, on, on the whole breeding and her laying and having suitable options. So for me, a lot of people they don't see it, but when there's a female and there's no nest bin, that just screams disaster to me. Um, it just, yeah. It, regardless of whatever it is, a young female, older female, male present, not present, it's, it's a necessity. Um, that's yeah. what. I will say that some people have their whole cage dialed in and uh, yeah. that definitely is an option um, for those people. For, for us, it's easier, a lot easier to use the nest bins. Um, and it seems a lot more cost effective, long run loss, lo- a lot less headache on the keeper to do it that way. Um, it, I guess there, there's an argument for and against both, but, for for me, a nest bin is just simple. Um, one, yeah. you'll see 
what I usually see in a female is going through the process you're talking about right now where they're hanging their belly in different ways. Um, the food is up and then they'll cut off food. Normally about the same time, you'll see her start to dig in some direction or whatnot. You'll see her disappear for a little bit. Uh, a couple days later, once she's found a suitable place to dig. Um, oh, we lost Alex. Hopefully he'll come back here. Um, but to the rest of the people listening, she'll she'll find that suitable. Oh, there he is. <laughs> she'll find that suitable place to to dig. Um, she'll go off food, and then for a couple of days, she'll seem almost lethargic. I'll try to get something like a uh, dusted pink in there if she'll take it. She doesn't want it. She doesn't want it. Um, and then you'll really see her hit that same area she was she was already digging in, and then the marathon's on for her. You know that that event where she's now laying. And as you've seen, an empty Aki where they obviously have laid, you know, I don't start digging until I see that animal come up. Totally deflated. Oh, yeah. And I usually even lately I've been waiting until I've had animals lay and then they just need a little bit of recoup time where they're still lethargic afterwards. And then they'll hit just they'll they'll rest for a little bit and then they'll hit real hard. Uh, usually when I start feeding them again and they're tuned into food is when I'll, I'll go ahead and start digging. Um, now before that, as soon as I saw her deflated, you know, <laughs> I would take her, move her somewhere safe and get in that nest box. Cause I wanted to see, but, um, lately I've been waiting until I see her, you know, searching for food again, hitting that food again, getting some resources yeah. back in there and then I'll go dig in there. Same. So, uh, why, why we're trying to recommend that is cause sometimes what they do is they'll hang on to one or two eggs and then dump those and scatter those um, mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay, so um, a bin, it seems like they're smarter than we think. Definitely, they definitely are because I've gone into nest bins before and um, basically found the the clutch and then I find all the infertiles buried in another section. Right. Um, and so... Sometimes they'll be done with one part, but they're not completely done with the whole process. Um, and so that's why you want to wait for it to come up, start doing normal lizard things, right? Mm-hmm. Once it's, if, you, if it's eating and it starts to basically go back to the normal, it's, it's no longer in the nest bin anymore, it's probably done. But right. I've, had, I've had them before where I actually I thought they were done. So, all right, you're patting it back. Okay, you're, you're, you're basically done. I'll, I'll either pull you from the whole the whole cage, right? or I, And then I start pulling the nest bin. And then I find when I return that female to the thing, she'll have dumped a couple eggs or something like that. So you want yourself to allow the female to go through the process, finish up, do whatever else she has to do, and then um, tend to her and tend to tend to the eggs afterwards. Um, give her that give her that last several hours or, a day or however long that takes. Um, sometimes those females they go back to normal and just scatter the egg on top. So <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tricky, but you want to be able to to read your female a little bit. That's normally in Aki's specifically what I see with my Aki's is they will lay um, a whole if it's in mostly in fertile clutch, it might be scattered. I might even find one on the surface somewhere, but it's been a while for that. If I'm looking at a good clutch where the majority of the eggs are good, they're all um, nested in the same spot. Um, in a nest bin, it's usually down towards the bottom in one of the corners. 
uh, that'll hit right around 85 degrees. Um, and as you've noticed the in your own experience, what a good egg looks like or what it can look like, um, it'll be that clear white shell. It will um, have a certain feel to it where it's hard. It won't have any of those pink <clears throat> spots really or squishy spots sometimes. It won't be rubbery. Um, and then the big thing, as you already mentioned, um, the good eggs, dirt just seems to fall right off of them. The internal mm -hmm. eggs, they just, all the dirt sticks right to them. Um, so that's usually what I see in a, in a good clutch is, uh, or in a, in a fertile clutch. Um, the other thing I will point out though, is sometimes I've, I've had first time females do things weird, uh, where, yeah, yeah they've done something here, something there and it's off, but it seems usually by the second clutch, they really key into what they're doing and uh, get better from that point on. Uh, once they've gotten past that first reproductive event, they, they have a little more experience themselves. So, Yeah, I mean, I may be reading into it too much, but I, just, I was watching her pretty closely. And it's, it's almost like she got a little bit better at it as the days went by because she would be disappearing a lot more and she'd come up and she'd be covered with dirt. And um, Yeah, it's all learning. I mean, yeah, so I, I think that was kind of that was some of the strangeness. And you think it had something to do with it, the fact that she just never she never been through it. Yeah. You know, it's so. funny. You also notice if you have this same pair together for a while, for a couple seasons, a couple different clutches, you'll also notice how the male changes uh, in regards to her, in regards to you. You might see him perched up on top of like the nest area somewhere uh, where he is overseeing what's going on. <laughs> um, you wow. might see him yeah. hide away, just completely stay out of her way or, um, make she sure knows she's better. Yeah. <laughs> make sure she's eating first afterwards, um, where he's not so much concerned with food. Uh, you might even have a male that gets a little more bold and charges you, um, all these different things. You'll get to learn your animal and see these different things. Cause I do believe after a while he recognizes you as the the egg taker and uh somewhere maybe in that that mix of um instinct and being a sentient being itself it knows that hey my colony isn't growing <laughs> where's, <laughs> where's my where's my babies you know uh you keep coming in here clutch after clutch and taking things you must be the fault of this so these are just ideas i have but uh, i have noticed my males they change um even Switching males. One of the things, if you if you have another male, and you have a gravid female that lays from basically one baby daddy, watch the other one. They seem to know if those are their eggs or not, and uh, that wow. you can get into some some issues of uh, animals eating clutches, uh, or at least in my experience. Yeah, if I get to that point, I will definitely. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about taking him out. Just uh, while while she's laying, is so uh, that's he's a, pretty. He's kind of a beta. I mean, he's not. Right. She kind of bosses him around quite a bit. So <laughs> that's that's good. Um, um, but you yeah. okay? So it's it's good. Some okay. S some pairs, they're great. Basically, there's no hiccup ever. The male does what we're talking about. Kind of um, knows his place. Goes wherever he needs to go. Right. But that's not always the case. Um, mm. And for me to hit the nail on the head every time, um, I remove the male after they're done breeding. And you'll kind of get an idea. You know, they'll go, they'll, they'll go through. The female will swell up. 
go through phases where she'll eat a bunch, they'll breed, things like that, right? They'll breed for a few days, and then he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, once that that period is done, it's roughly a good period of five, seven days, sometimes leading into 10 days, right? That's all the time he needed. And so once that, once I see that behavior, I then remove him. Um, then my female is then much more comfortable. Um, uh, there's just less going on in the cage. Now, for me, whether or not, you know, uh, the male is going through this or not, I basically want the eggs. So if I'm going to leave the male, I'm basically chancing me me not getting the eggs. So removing them, removing him is, is key to your success as well. You know, mm-hmm. getting these clutches and stuff like that. It's it's very easy. All he has to do is wait for the time frame, disruptor, go grab the eggs or something like that. Males will be right in there with them sometimes, and it's annoying. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wanna you wanna get into that type of practice too. If if the male is too edgy and pushy, pull them out. You know, they can also be too sensitive. I've had a female where she's down nesting. And I would walk by the cage and the male would feel like it was his duty to go check on her. So now he's digging around in the nest box and that's not where I wanted him. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if he felt like he was doing his duty, but I eventually did pull him. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, once you once you get um, going with some more things, because you're on your way, you're going to you're going to be seeing a lot of this stuff real soon, um, mm-hmm. especially if you get more animals, if. You know, you decide to try keeping a trio together or just to just to play with different things, see different behaviors. Um, I've had a, a gravid female basically basking for most of the day while the other female will actually dig the nesting area for her. Uh, then the the gravid female, she'll duck out, she'll hide. And um, the gravid female will then go down and nest in that same area that the the other female was uh, digging in. So it's just, it's more for you. Uh, as you start seeing a couple clutches, some things to see, they're just kind of cool. You know, you get to yeah. notice these different things, but at first, man, it's all about getting on the scoreboard, <laughs> get those, yeah. get them in the incubator and, and see some babies faces. Cause that's the best part. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to lose all your hard work for nothing, you know? Right. Yeah. So, my next question is maybe skip it ahead a little bit. When you're going through and removing eggs from the box or in the substrate, yeah. and um, I know you you, you kind of want to get to them as quickly as you can, but like, how does the the actual like removing of them work? Like, you don't want to at some point. I know you don't want to rotate them because of the, the they're developing veins, or do you yeah. mark the top of them in some way to so you know? Um, I mean, how does how does that? I've never even. So when you're doing this right, you're basically going to be removing furniture in the cage and then moving the nest bin out and then give yourself space. Then you uh, you have another bin, the empty one. So dirt comes out of your filled bin and then every handful or every cup that you remove or every shovel you remove goes into that empty bin. That mm-hmm. way there's unnecessary soil to redig back up, okay? Mm-hmm. You don't you're just basically having this process help you out, okay? And then you're going to get to the nitty-gritty and down to the bottom. Be gentle. Start to dig like you're more so of petting a cat rather than right. you're like, – Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you're not, you're not clawing at it. 
and and trying to get these out you're actually petting the soil and and removing bit by bit and so and then you'll get to a point where you've now piled up a bunch underneath your lap and you'll grab all that and take that out and put that into the empty bin some more and then you'll get to the bottom and maybe you may you may find the eggs you should probably already have your your container ready okay don't get me wrong you have some time they the, the eggs can probably sit on the counter for the day and probably not really have an issue okay but um you want to you know do things promptly you have stuff already ready for you get mm -hmm. your stuff if you know you're going to dig eggs probably even before that get your water and and medium ratio correct inside your thing rather than having to figure it out and and then the eggs sit there you know stuff like that Make um, a cup of uh, chamomile tea. Do some stretches. Yeah. No, as far <laughs> as nice your, and slow. Your uh, your whole um, dang, brain fart. But uh, I'm sorry, your, I interrupted. That's no, okay. Your uh, your um, dang. What was I gonna say? Your the actual container, right? When you're setting that up and everything like that, maybe do all that prior to you going in and mm -hmm. grabbing the bin. You know. Getting all that up, basically not having to to miss a step at all, really, and then you, you're going to set your eggs there. Now the embryo or the whole life ring typically will already set onto one side, but uh, I've learned that not all reptiles are the same, and they take time to set. So you can probably roll that egg in theory and still have a healthy egg because the embryo is still very young and it hasn't set to the top yet. Um, yeah. I've rolled uh, the whole clutch for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. I've rolled the whole clutch in the first 24 hours, um, and no problems. Basically yeah, no my, problem. my so, son kicked it. <laughs> so there's it was, really, uh, you shouldn't be able to be tilting eggs. You want to practice that as much as possible. Right. And as you're pulling these eggs out, your whole new bin that you've, you know, emptied out into can now be your soft padding and you'll grab the eggs, set them there, you know, make your little imprint, make your mark. Um, with the Sharpie or a pen or whatever. Uh, uh, I started writing the date on top of the eggs because I'm so horrible at writing dates. And so uh, <laughs> now I know, you know, basically um, when these when these eggs are predicted to hatch. And it gives me a time frame and the mark and everything like that. So um, it's up to you on how you want to do things and then have your little, your little, uh, your little paper or your little, uh, a, a, legend of what's what time animal species date all that stuff like that and pop it into the incubator man and that's really it yeah um, yeah you're gonna see some cool stuff and now for sure you have a uh obviously you have a female but you're sure you have a male uh, i'm 90 percent sure he, he his body shape is like completely different like his neck is much thicker is awesome um, I, I i'm trying to do the flashlight thing with him but i can never get him to hold still um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's, he's, he's relatively tractable, but he doesn't really, he's not, he's not as cooperative as she is. Cause he's, right. I'm trying to keep him a little bit more, uh, wild, so but to speak. You did see him locked up. Now, I haven't seen him lock up, but I've seen them. They do the kind of the, I've seen him approach her doing kind of the, the shaky head, you know, the yeah. bobbing head thing. Good and, stuff, um, so he's definitely, there's been times where I can tell he's like, he's interested. Like he's. And he'll, I've seen him going around and sniffing like her, uh, her droppings quite a bit. And yeah. I mean, like one day he kind of spent like five minutes there just checking it out. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, the, um, 
I, they, they may have locked up, but I just didn't see it. There's been times when they were, you know, running around and, and then they would just both disappear at the same time. I know they don't want like privacy or anything, but does she I, mount him? No, but she'll, she'll kind of like when she, when she wants him away from like a basking area, she'll just kind of like get on top of him and, and he'll kind of move away, but then he'll move back on top of her. And but not I haven't seen him mounting. But not, but not pinning, but not pinning though, right? No, nothing like, like nothing like tails thing? walking up. I haven't seen that, but they, uh, they, you know, I, when I first got her, I, I, I really, I kind of screwed up a little bit because I, I originally I had two and, um, they came from two different places and she, she was so brutal to the other one. And I only had one enclosure at the time. So I had to take that, the other one to a, there's, I got a local, like a mom and pop pet store. They're really good with reptiles and they, they actually housed it for me until I could find somebody that would buy it. And, uh, they loved having it. Cause it was like, it, it was, it, people would go into the store just to look at it, but she, she was like so violent with this thing. She was doing gator rolls with it. And oh so yeah. I took, yeah. I took him, I, I call it a him because it turned out to be because the, the person who bought it is kind of local. And, um, but yeah, it was, she was doing like gator rolls. I mean, I mean, I'd never seen an animal. Like I put it in there. She felt, I mean, she locked onto it and she would hunt it down. And I mean, it was awful. I was like, got to get him out. Somebody would have gotten, would have been missing a leg. Yeah. Probably the other one. Because, so I was really apprehensive when I put these together because I thought she was going to be a lot worse, but they've been pretty you know nobody's nobody's drawn blood no they haven't even really seen when they bite you can tell it's not even like a serious bite it's just kind of like a like a, right. a soft kind of a nip you know um it's not no nobody's bulldogging or gator rolling or anything even close to that so it's funny what you can see just through behaviors of different animals uh some of the the methods I use currently to help sex some of these raise ups is I'll take a known female and I'll drop it in the cage with a trio of raise ups and I'll just watch what happens next. And uh, usually I'll go do something else and, and then I'll hear some scattering around in that cage running around and I'll see two males kind of like going at it. And I'm like, okay. And the other one's hiding. I will separate accordingly and then try my process again. And because sometimes there's some adult animals, they are just, or, I'm sorry, sub-adult animals, they're just hard to sex. I have, it seems like I have more luck with a lot of other animals rather than Ackies. For me, they're still hard to sex. But um, using just watching behavior of different animals, um, you can put uh, an object from one cage into another male's cage if you don't know it's a male, and then you start seeing them scent mark everything like crazy. Probably going to be a male in that situation. Um, not 100%. That was like the first thing. When I put him in here, that was like the first thing he did is he just started rubbing his tail everywhere. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 He's marking all that spot. So, um, yeah, it sounds good. Sounds real promising. And uh, if she's going through that process, you're keeping him fed. I think you got some good things coming here pretty soon. Yeah. I, I've got it. I'm going to go get it. I have a tote. It's probably not the right. It's the right size, but it's it's a little bit taller than it needs to be like a, like a shallower one that's like 11 inches. I know exactly which one you're talking about. I'm going to get that in there tomorrow night or as soon as possible, really. All right. So uh, I guess we can help you with that. So that way we're, you're not just trying to figure out what to do to heat it up. And I also don't want you to do it improperly and bring your face down. So um, a bin inside a bin. And then you make a hole in the outer bin. Okay. And that's going to lead your 
your cord out, okay? But you're it's your ah, okay. you're you're encasing a heat pad in the bin, right? Within the two bins, so it, that that space when you pop one in gives you enough inch or so to have a heat pad flushed right in there, and then the cord comes out of that outer bin, and then it comes out 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 through a wall in your enclosure. So you'll have to be able to drill as well. Um, but yeah. Just that's uh, a real good way to keep your night temps to, or to to be able to shut off the lights. Yeah. And, and you uh, don't want to overheat things all the time. You want your right. enclosure to drop to 60 and 70 or whatever at nighttime. OK, mm -hmm. uh, having it uh, 80 degrees or uh, 85 degrees all the time is pretty hot. So you uh, that 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 you'll actually notice sometimes they appreciate that drop. Mm -hmm. But that way you can always control the temperature of your nest bin. And let the rest of the cage fluctuate, um, yeah. so it it, it yeah. gives you that little bit of safe that safety net. You know, you always know what's yeah. going on with just this uh, cubic dimension of space. So, yeah. and you'll notice yeah. the the heat bin, the bin, the heated bin, will be a volume of warmth itself, right? It'll be radiating heat a little bit too. It'll also change the dynamics of your now heated enclosure, where it'll it'll probably up your current hot spots uh, by a few degrees just because that is added heat itself so you right. may have to adjust there okay i just had an idea do you think it'd be worthwhile to take a because i've got two herb tattoos up there i could actually dedicate a probe yeah i've got probes i don't even use can i just put a probe inside the nest bin is yeah that that's, worth that's it? basically what you want to do is shove it into yeah. the soil yeah. so like in a, somewhere in the middle or um it's going to range from one hotter end to the other end. So mm -hmm. you want a designated temperature wherever you put it. So 85 right. degrees is your designated temperature. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a couple different ways you can do it. It's just what's going to work best for you. You can use a combination of those little like uh, digital um, probes. You could set that on top of the soil in the nest bin and then put your actual um, thermostat probe and you'll get to find out what you're looking for. So maybe your top probe is reading 90, 92 degrees or something, but you know that when that's on, it means that this the probe is actually at this and it's in line with what you're seeing on the display or vice versa. It takes a little bit of playing with till you you get comfortable with what you're seeing, um, but there's, there's just different ways to do it. Or also putting a um, one of those digital thermometer probes in that space if you use two nest boxes put it in that mm -hmm. space and you'll get to see like okay you're holding uh, 87 at the bottom that means the dirt at the very bottom the, the actual dirt might be 84 degrees or so at the very bottom of the nest bin um and different ways you you'll become comfortable with your own setup and what temperatures you're seeing mm -hmm. so you'll get to the point where you just check check like uh i do this with a lot of things i'll check the two displays i'll see okay the actual thermostat is saying this the um the other uh what am i thinking the other thermometer is saying this and even if the the one of them fluctuates a little bit you've got this this volume of dirt that's actually acting as a heat sink itself so mm -hmm. I don't mind if it fluctuates three degrees one way or three degrees the other way. I know that within that range, you're still going to hit your temps. So just thanks for you and, and your setup specifically to where you become comfortable. So you can just walk in and look at what you need to, and you know, okay, I'm in this range. 
I know how warm or how cold my house gets during this season. As long as it's displaying this, I should be fine. Yeah. No, that'll be good. I know exactly what needs to happen now. So, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, together. <laughs> I've got capability. I mean, like, because the other the other stat is just I could really just use that like a timer for those because it's not. I don't have any any probes connected to it right at the moment. It's just it just controls the the UVB and the uh, the LED. Yeah. So I kind of yeah. I've gotten to the point where I judge a lot of my entire enclosure just off of that um, temp gun reading off the the hot spot on the slate. I thinking okay if i know the slate is about this temperature throughout the year this is kind of my normal range for the rest of the cage so there's mm -hmm. i don't i don't use probes on every cage um that's usually how i judge things i'm like okay i know if that's that the temperature in the room is this then this end of the cage is going to be about this at this time of the year and um you'll you'll get there too just mess around with uh um especially if you get another pair you start seeing how another cage works maybe it's on the other side of the room and there's a couple of degrees difference just between the two cages, you'll still know, okay, everything's good. Um, it's going to be fun. <laughs> no, it, it is. Yeah. Now, Alan, do you, you do a, uh, do you do like a dry period with them or do you, you just kind of keep it pretty, pretty constant? Um, it's constant, but it's for my Ackies. It's a lot of times it's constantly dry. To be honest, um, very low humidity throughout the cage, and I allow the nest box and just standing water for them to drink. Um, mm. And I really don't have any issues. Now, that being said, that's how I do things. I know people that keep it at 70% humidity across the cage. They also have no issues. So I yeah. think that just leans more towards the durability of the animal um, rather than what's right or wrong is that they can live in – so many different conditions within a certain range and be totally fine. It's just for me out here, um, humidity is relatively low for the most part. Um, so it's, it's easier for me to worry about the humidity in their cage. Now I'll go in sometimes maybe once or twice a week now and just spray the whole cage with a backpack sprayer, you know, pump it up and, and go in there and spray it down. But the rest of the time it, it, it'll keep that humidity for maybe half a day and then it'll dry out. Uh, I literally, I, I take a two gallon water can and yeah. I'll just dump yeah. it in there. And, uh, yeah. and, and then like on and the lights just went out, but on the cool side in the morning, you'll see condensation. So it's like 70, 80. Yeah. That's, that's, that's basically what exactly you want. Yep. Yeah. It's exactly how you want it. I think people are struggling to always want like 70, 80% humidity. And, uh, I always just, Tell them, hey, that's you. Know, you don't really want that because that's that's going to lead to like kind of like a wet a wet cage, right? Yeah. Now having a ample humidity in part of the enclosure is perfect, but being able to go to a dry option is also good. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, lost them real quick there. I I end up having more problems when my cage is above fifty percent humidity constantly. Uh, yeah. I, I would say fifty. I fifty is pretty safe, but in that seventy percent humidity constantly. I, I usually start having more problems with the uh, Australian stuff than, uh, yeah. than for, I want. For myself, too. I think when when you just missed this real quick, we just mentioned that um, you know, as most beginners, uh, they hear, you know, like let's say they, they know about Indonesian species, right? And they just assume that where this place is from is like a rainforest. So it's, it's <laughs> probably warm and humid, right? Um, it's not, not the case at all. I kind of keep most of my guys kind of drier 
and don't get me wrong it's not like it's uh um like 30 to 40 percent the whole enclosure but they have that option you know so your 40 and 50 percent will buy your bulbs is good and then that's kind of natural for all of our cages because the bulbs will naturally dry out the air regardless right um, but that actually works out in our benefit because when animals are basking somewhere up on some hot rock, they're doing the same thing, slowly dehydrating. Um, and so, you know, having the, your, your ability to have your animals escape and go somewhere else is, is going to be very key for, for them doing everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, if I know anything, I know that these guys don't like being wet. Right. They don't. They, they shouldn't be wet. My Argus will just stand there and, and just take a shower and like, I mean, that's probably one of the few ways I, I can ingratiate myself with that animal. But these guys, if they, if they get missed in the water, they're, they split, they're gone. Yeah. So there was one, actually, when she was done laying, I sprayed her. That was the only time I've ever seen her just stay put and she just was kind of drinking, you know, and then eventually she had enough and she's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. So with Argus uh, being, Indonesian um, animals mm -hmm. handle a little more humidity than uh, if if I do the same thing. Even though they're the same complex or same family, if I do the same thing with the uh, the pure flabbies, yeah. um, I have watched over a day the hands just like puff up, and then it takes me two months of um, treating those animals. They came with problems already; they were a little bit yeah. older, but um, it takes me two months of you know basically working with these animals to correct that issue. Um, so it's just one of those things that I, I think Australia, even though they're similar animals in both places, um, we can't necessarily treat them all the same. Um, so Aki's for me are very durable across the board. You can keep them on the drier side for sure. You can keep them up to a certain amount of humidity without a problem. Um, and they do fine, but you start getting into other species, especially, uh, I would say, Kimberly Rock, some of the thinner skin species. Uh, you got to dial that in to what they it's, need. It's a crazy balance, man. Yeah. Um, it's uh, okay. So for mine, it's uh, a bunch of basically damp, sandy soil. And it's the heat that radiates into that and then creates the humidity is all I need and a little water yeah. dish. That's all I need. But without that, they basically have very, very thin toes and tail tips. And you end up losing that with the first the first chicken shed. Something yeah. like that. So yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. It's uh it's definitely a balance and um for me, I, I now just wet the soil, have dry soils on hand or push to the side, and then push that back over. So whenever I add that saturation back into the thing in a way if i just dump it on top and they walk all over it they can get bumblefoot you know yeah um so yeah you want to you want to watch that and it almost seems like you the the type of uh, enclosure is going to kind of dictate your substrate because if you've yeah. got an enclosure that has difficulty containing humidity then your substrate needs to be more a lot more soil i would think because it holds moisture because uh you know the sand it, is uh yeah, the sand holds better for for me. The, oh yeah, the damp the damp play sand, yeah, holds holds a lot better for for what I need to do. Um, but the, without anything on top, it does dry out. So. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, because I do not like the fungus gnats. I know they're probably harmless, <laughs> but they, they gross me out. So I've I've pretty much eliminated potting or topsoil from. Yeah. Uh, I just don't even bother with it. I like. Um, I really do like good ventilation for my setup where I'm at. I like the ability to control things a certain way. Uh, I like good ventilation. Um, mm. I like spraying down a cage and knowing that it dries out. That way, throughout the day, the animal gets both. I don't like animals sitting necessarily in constant, um, specifically talking about the Australian stuff, constant humidity levels, especially the babies. Um, I I ran into more problems with babies when they were um, higher humidity and less ventilation. So for me, more ventilation worked better with an area, just an area they could get to for humidity. And it helps a lot of times retain um, like the toes and the um, the um, tail tips and whatnot. So, yeah, it's your best uh, your best bet, man. It's your most people don't realize it. they just think, oh man, it's a desert species or they're where they're from. All of a sudden, it's just it just needs to be dry, right, or bone dry. I've seen that in current setups now where I'll go to stores and um, the Aki setup is totally wrong. You know, I'm like, man, yeah. that's, that's a, that's, I mean, that's not even a Euromastic setup, you know, but yeah, that's, that's how they're, how they're looking on, on getting it done. And um, yeah, man, I just, I uh, just wish people acknowledged it more. And that's probably why it's so hard because people just assume that they're, Kind of like a desert species they can just be kept like beardy dragons or something like that yeah man those toe tips and stuff like that are too delicate yeah absolutely. yeah they go through a wet season in some of the some of their range it's like they get more rain i mean i i, I looked at ackies on iNaturalist then i looked at weather data and they get like so they get more rain than we get here you know <laughs> yeah. it's, it's i mean but it, it all happens in like two or three months and then, and yeah. then that's like their, their water for the year. And then it just kind of like stays in those rock crevices or. Yeah. Or it, it doesn't, I mean, it might stay in the ground to a certain amount, but mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get a lot of standing water throughout the dry season, you know? And so what they get is during mm -hmm. that, that wet season and from the food they're eating, the bugs they are eating. Um, and then they can escape to humid places, but actual like standing drinking water um might be reduced to maybe like dew points um throughout the year when they they reach those certain areas where there might be a little dew on things um but i don't know that for sure haven't been there and you know sat out in the uh when the sun's coming up mm -hmm. <laughs> if i seeing if i get a layer of moisture all over me <laughs> but uh i know they're they're very durable as far as uh water intake you know um i i really haven't seen an issue with any of my Ackies and dehydration, uh, yeah. so um, it's almost become a moot point. If if I miss a couple days where there's not a water dish in there, it's really no big deal. I think I almost do it just as a, a routine thing where I dump it, you know, dump the little water dish. I, I use really small water dishes for the Ackies just because otherwise they trample all over it and dirty it up. So I just toss that into the substrate, fill it up with some clean stuff, it usually just acts as a cricket drowning pool for the most part, yeah. you know, but, <laughs> um, 
yeah, so I, I don't see them using a whole lot of standing water. It's just something I provide for peace of mind. But uh, So uh, speaking of crickets, what? Uh, how much like vertebrate prey do you uh, – would you guys recommend? And what kind of bugs – So I mean, I'm always looking for a new thing to feed these guys. So we're – I mean we're all at a, a little bit different in usage, but I only feed heavy – vertebrates like chick parts quail parts mice parts uh, fertile eggs stuff like that when the female's going through the whole thing other than that it's mostly grasshoppers and um random chick parts that's it kind of keep it lean but i don't really introduce like egg and mice and stuff like that until i need to carry that female through other hmm. than that's pretty much I it i need a lot of meat Throughout the, I would say mm, 60, 40 for some, it might be a little less, um, but I feed, I feed crickets, superworms, roaches, and then, but I don't shy away from, uh, yeah, I don't use all those bugs at all. I just use the grasshoppers. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I, I do have a pretty good bug to use, but yeah, I, I sadly don't use those, but I just don't want those in the house. Yeah, <laughs> I have them all offsite, so I don't get to. I don't have to listen to crickets, um, superworms. Uh, honestly, out of all the bugs, superworms weird me out. I just I, but I oh, use yeah. them. And um, the the ackies love the superworms. Not all my animals do, but the ackies absolutely love them. Um, so those are kind of a staple. I'll just there'll be like two days where I feed superworms three days where I'll feed um, crickets, but I'm not hesitating to also throw uh, mice in there um, or uh, even there's few animals that'll take like chick heads or like you said, quail uh, stuff like that. I've fed tilapia. Um, it's more, I feed on a schedule that's actually more convenient to me. So if I don't have time to get in there and bag a bunch of crickets, dust them up and throw them in or go digging through the roach colony, um, I know that, okay, I'm, I will think a day in advance. I'm like, all right, I'll thaw out this many pinks because I got to hit that, uh, hit the collection real hard, real fast. So I'll thaw out a bunch of pinks and just be like, here, you know, throwing them in like Cheerios uh, just for my schedule. And then, um, then throughout the week, I'll give them like crickets to chase down, something like that. Or if I don't, um, if I have a little more time, I'll go sorting through the roaches and sort like a feeder bin of roaches. And then I'm grabbing from that. And there's always superworms on hand. And that's just for me. Um, some people have asked, like, how do you keep up with it? That's honestly, I have these go tos that I set up. It's almost like meal prep for, <laughs> for the animals. And that saves me a lot of time, and it's just something I've had to, to work into. So um, it doesn't make sense sometimes with only a few animals. It's like, eh, it's it's not really that big of a deal. Um, but with the, the amount of animals that I'm keeping right now, it's, it's yeah, a lot of, like, I guess, food prep for the lack of a better term. That's how I save a lot of time. And um, I look for – I'm not necessarily making sure everything's eating. I'm just watching the actual animals themselves. So I see something looking wrong throughout the week then that animal gets my special attention. And that's kind of how I triage different things. Because most, most of the time I walk in, if an animal's acting normal, um, they're doing fine, then I see them out or I see them scatter away. Um, and if I don't see an animal for a while, then I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, where you are, where you at? I'm going to get into that enclosure, dig them up, 
but um, but I use a variety of food, whatever's available. Sometimes it might be easier for me to stop on the way home and get um, some tilapia for the big guys. And that way I can just kind of like pull the pieces apart and throw a piece of tilapia, throw some, some calcium on there and throw them a piece of tilapia. Um, yeah, I, I use a ton of different things just for my own convenience in that but it's usually it's usually good quality stuff but um rodents is a big one um let's see and it might vary throughout the week too one week i just might have more time to do bugs and i'll feed a lot of bugs or i don't want to get into the uh the pinky mice yet maybe i know i have a lot of females coming up on um cycling uh, it seems like they, they do get into a groove altogether. And so I know that like you get that feeling that, okay, this is going to happen. So I'll save the pink mice um, for a week or two down the road. And then I'll thaw them out at that point. And that's what I'm feeding to the, um, the females at that point. And I'll look for something like uh, I'll, <laughs> I've done it where I've got super worms in one hand trying to feed the male the superworms while I'm flicking pink mice to the, uh, to the female or, um, yeah, I just, I don't pay a lot of attention to it. So when people say you only have to feed this, you know, um, I just, I don't. Yeah. I do a little bit of everything. I just make sure the females are, are lean as yeah. much as I can. Yeah. That's, that's my only thing is uh, I'll even skip days until they get back to that lean part. Um, from, uh, like little babies gotta eat a lot, right? Yeah, kind of have to because they got so much <laughs> to do, like, go through. But my adults you can taper back down to like three times a week, something like mm-hmm. that. Three to four, it really just depends. If it's the female going through a bunch of stuff, then I'll definitely feed more, um, probably more consistent every day, um, just a little bit less, but more consistent every day. And I'll just throw in several grasshoppers or something like that and make it work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um. I'm guessing you have the normal stuff you're you're feeding right now. What 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 are you feeding right now? Oh man, I guess so. Grasshoppers. Um, I am doing uh, Dubia, kind of like the uh, staple. Yeah. So I, I don't. I try to. I got to keep them in the garage because I got a, I got a son with asthma, so I don't want to trigger anything. But um, you know, I, I kind of go in there and I feed them and I pull them out and I try to stay out of there as much as I can because I, I don't want to get an allergy to them. And then I've got. Um, lobster roaches which the animals like but i hate them because they're they're nasty yeah i did have uh red runners they're even worse but yeah. they i don't know what it is about those things they trigger it's like the smell that the lizards just it's, like it's the, yeah it's the smells yeah. the lizard like but we don't i don't i don't like that smell and I can't i've got um i can't stand that i've got some pumpkin or the halloween hissers yeah they love them but they they breed like really slow yeah, I, I haven't really had much luck with them, but they uh, everybody likes those, like especially like the the smaller juvenile ones. Yeah. But when even they're adults, they're like a really big bug. I mean, they get really excited, and uh, none of them like mealworms. Like, um, and the reason why I have so many different things, and, and then I've got qu- the quail and then fuzzies. I just dropped like a big order with Rodent Pro, so I'm good for like forever. Yeah, no, for like months. But um, the. Uh, so everybody's kind of like, and then, then the, nobody wants mealworms. Like they wouldn't even, they won't touch anything worm, silkworm, hornworm. They're like, they, I think they, they keep hornworms as their, their own pets because they just kind of sit there and look at them. <laughs> you know, okay. 
You know, I mean, they're just, I mean, they don't even, they don't, I don't even think they, it just doesn't even register as food. Like a yeah. Food, yeah. A food mine don't really eat the mealworms as well. I think they're, there's like peasant food or something. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the super worms are, are in the beetles are like the awesome cleanup crew. Yeah. And they just crush everything. Yeah, they don't really bother the animals. I mean, so the only thing. problem with that, right? Superworm larvae are so hungry all the time. Yeah. So I've actually caught a caught some chewing on older eggs that I missed. Um, oh. So yeah, if you're you're not paying attention, and the uh, the your your nest bin is basically so suitable for them to lay in, but they also lay into the log and right. you know, all that stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. You have a moist moist soil pocket. Um, so for me, I don't release any of the worms, any of those mealworms or super worms into the enclosure, um, just cause, just cause of that, that for a reason. Yeah. Uh, scary. <laughs> scary. <laughs> I, have to, I have to have to be like, what the hell? Lost eggs, not through anything else, but a mealworm. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Oh yeah. For me, it's those yeah. buffalo beetles that come with the crickets. Oh, those are the worst. I hate right. those things. I currently have a. Nasty, not it. I don't know about infestation yet, but you know, the, it's like okay, I'm seeing them do their job, but seeing them is also annoying, you know. It's like mm-hmm. okay, the poop is gone, the waste is gone, thanks, but damn, like you guys are just in the way, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, they're just everywhere. So, and then when you have like a baby enclosure, oh, they yeah, just prolificate the whole little enclosure. I don't know, it's so in, in a yeah. way, they're great, but in a way, they're also not. And I got there's there. They're in my dubia colony, and I figured out a way to limit it. So I just put like a TV, an old TV dinner in there that hasn't been, or like a microwave meal, and, and they'll the worms will get in there, yeah. and they'll eat it, and then they can't get out. Right. And so then I just take them outside, and the birds there's birds will come by and eat them. And you know, one time I just dumped bleach, and you know, but they're that's the only way you can do population control other than starting over completely. Yeah, so. there is ways if you. Oh. If you dig everything up, set it in a bin, and then uh, those no pest strips will do the trick. If you set them outside, and then um, then pull the no pest strip, let I will let it sit for you know a week or so without it, um, and that will pretty much kill everything in there. It gives me peace of mind since mm-hmm. I've been using it. Um, I don't even put the pest strip right on the the soil itself. I'll put it on a couple paper towels or something and just set it in there. It's been killing off most of those uh, buffalo beetles and their larvae and everything. So it works for me. Um, I haven't seen any effects in the animals. I feel like um, there's no direct contact. The way it works, I'm pretty confident that there's not going to be any harm to the animals. Um, but it's just, it, I only do it with the baby bins. I can't do it with the big guys. But at the same time, with the big guys, it's not really that much of an issue. And I'm not feeding them crickets. So it's not like I'm always introducing those buffalo beetles to their enclosures yeah yeah i don't have the buffaloes in in there but i do have the super worms and uh if if i see i have a rule if i see more than three beetles at once walking around i just remove start removing them to yeah so they don't start making your own colony start uh look look up the youtube vids and get a couple trays and start making your own super worms (laughs) i started i started and i killed them all um i I had this like loose fitting lid and I left it kind of in a way where it, it didn't seal off completely. Well, I was moving stuff around. So they had like a layer of oats and the beetles in there. 
And so it was just convenient to snap the lid on to move the whole thing over. And then I forgot about it. And uh, yeah, there wasn't enough, I guess, airflow or oxygen going through that thing. And uh, it was a pretty nasty, stinky mess when I finally remembered. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think the, the, the grasshoppers are my favorite because they're just, they grow so damn fast. They don't, they don't smell. They, you know, they fly. So they, yeah. the, 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 the Aki's, all the lizards like eating them. I mean, they're just, they're perfect. Yeah. So. Well, all right. We're heading up to about an hour and 45 minutes yeah. here. Um, I got to go eat some dinner, gentlemen. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut this a little short. Usually we go about two hours, but that being said, Alex, before we go, is there any other questions that are running around in your head? And No, no. I think it, that was basically the gist of it. So. Yeah. We'll get back to us if, if you hit us up on either Messenger or, or however. Um, I don't know if you have my number, but I, I'll answer any way you get a hold of me. I'll, I'll answer. Mm-hmm. I know Kai pretty much does, too. So um, I think you're on your way pretty soon. You're going to be rolling in eggs from the sound of it. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, man. Let's stay consistent. Watch them every day and be on top of stuff. Yep. It's the only thing I can oh, recommend. Yeah. yeah. I'm a helicopter keeper, so. Yeah, I I had to take the camera down because it was distracting me. I was looking at the camera and yeah. worked too much. So, yeah, they, you know it's funny they do fine just on their own. You just support them with the basics, and and they they will do fine for the most part on their own. But I know what you mean. I like to look in on them all the time. Or you get a new species, and that's that's the new helicopter project. You know. <laughs> yeah, I just moved the camera over to the Argus for a while because she wouldn't even come out when I was in there. Yeah. So that was only that was the only way I would see her for for a little while. But uh, now she's a little bit more. She's a lot more accustomed. To, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I really appreciate. Hey, it. We appreciate you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. And and being honest with where you're at, what you're seeing, and um, sharing with us because they're either problems that uh, we've run into or they're things that we haven't seen, but maybe can help figure out. And honestly, it's um you know, getting into this whole process, Kai was really big on, Hey, I want, I want people that are just in the beginnings of this part or this part or this part, making sure we're getting these people on to interact with the community because we had to start off um, doing all this stuff at some point and to be able to bring bridge the gap, bring everybody together. uh, I just think it it is a great idea. It's been a great idea. It's been a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun to get, um, people on that are excited not only for ourselves but man when you have that first success I, i'm serious when you see that first yeah. like tongue flick it is just like oh yeah going, you know um, yeah and, and kudos to you guys because i mean not i mean a lot of people will do this but if you're talking about things that go wrong you know mistakes everybody makes them i mean when i was a kid god i, I don't know how many animals i probably killed <laughs> you know i mean it was a long ass time ago but i mean it's just ha- i mean there's no way you keep enough of these things, things are going to happen. And yeah. it's the only way people are going to learn uh, instead of just you know, pretending that the, you know, their, their animals are always in the perfect condition and, you know, things happen. So, I mean, that's right. the only way you'll ever learn. So, yeah. yeah, it's good, good on you guys for, for, uh, you know, talking about the, the successes and the failures. So. We'll try to hit those shows every once in a while. Once we, uh, you know, uh, store up enough failures to kind of just regurgitate <laughs> on everybody and, and uh, make sure we're keeping ourselves, you know, uh, humble and accountable to our own mistakes. Hopefully, 
honestly, hopefully they can help other people. And um, even talking to people that have been doing it a lot longer than I have, you start getting into those conversations uh, about mistakes and there's a wealth of knowledge just from, Oh, how'd you figure out this? You know? And that, yeah. that's what, if everything went perfect, they'd never have to pioneer new ways of doing things. So it is really a big part of this is messing up and learning from it. Um, all right. I keep teasing the same thing, but Kai, anything else before we go? No, we just appreciate everybody tuning in and uh, giving us some great positive feedback. Um, we are still looking for, I guess, more, uh, more podcasts to run into more and more topics and stuff like that. So if you guys happen to listen to this and, have something that um, you know has been running across your mind, but you can't figure it out, or it's a thing that's regularly discussed, but we haven't discussed it here. Um, feel free to message us. Uh, you can find me uh, mostly on Facebook and Instagram. Um, on Facebook, I am just Kai Fan K H A I P H A N. Um, on Instagram, I am Big Underscore Lizard One O Three. Um, that's one, the letter O, and the number three. Uh, Alan, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me at Origins underscore Reptile on Instagram or Origins Reptile on Facebook. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, here on the podcast, um, I'll put the same disclaimer out that if you look up my name, Alan Stevens, on Facebook, yes, I do have an account, but there's a good chance uh, I'm not going to approve uh, a reptile person just because I'm trying so hard to keep the life separate. But if you go to the reptile sites, um definitely you know um get in touch with me there alex where can people find you uh i'm on facebook is uh alex arducey just uh alex a-r-d-u-s-s-i and then i'm on uh instagram i got a a personal account kind of like you i try to keep things separate but i think you guys are on those um yeah (laughs) and and then it's uh at rock and roll aki like r-o-c-k-a-n-d uh R-O-L-L-A-C-K-I-E. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Good but, uh, yeah. And a oh, quick shout out. Um, Linnea posted a new video. Uh, Linnea was a guest on episode five of the podcast, uh, working with Savannah monitors, doing some really cool things. Uh, clutch of 44 eggs uh, at that time when we were talking to her. Um, she posted a video recently on YouTube. I'm not sure if it's just under her name. Um, but I think if you do enough searching, you'll find it where she's doing uh, some more field work over in Ghana and uh, really cool stuff. Uh, follow her. Yeah, it's there's a monitor lizard community or a subreddit that's posted there, I think. Yeah. So I did get a chance to see that. And I heard that podcast too. It was amazing. Yeah, really cool stuff. All right. Again, we're brought to you by the NPR Network. So uh, go ahead and check out that website, Morelli Python Radio.com uh, or .net. You can get there from both and uh give them uh some some of your attention you know if you're into reptiles they got some great information uh npr itself has i think 10 or 11 seasons um and it's not just moralia throughout those seasons they have all kinds of guests on there uh definitely some monitor lizards covered some field herpers uh there's all kinds of other podcasts attached to that uh you can hear from people in australia doing things I think uh, they just had an episode with Mark O'Shea, and uh, if you don't know who that is, uh, how do you, you not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead and give that one a listen. Um, that that's some fun stuff there. So, 
All right, guys. Other than that, uh, we hope you have a good evening. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. See you guys later.